celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. Welcome in, everyone. I am your host, DC Hendrix, and this is a Music Vibes Podcast. You've made it. We've been traveling back into time talking album of the decade. And we went all the way back. We started with the 1960s when Eric Alper of Sirius XM Radio joined us to start the series. And he's also the person I got the idea from. He joined us a few weeks ago and listened. And we traveled back to the 60s, talked about our personal favorite album. So if you want to listen to that one, that's a few weeks back. We also went to the 1970s, which was a lot of fun. Had double. That's when I started to have double trouble, so to speak. I had two guests, and th- that was a lot of fun. Where we had, I had both John Borak from Goldmine Magazine, and I had Hillary Saunders, and we had a lot of fun on that podcast. Hillary Saunders is from No Depression, a fantastic independent website, and they kind of talk about the roots of music. So that was a great podcast. And then 1980s was just last week. I was joined by Matt Wake from AL.com, Billboard, Rolling Stone, and of course, the fantastic Annie Zaleski joined us to talk 1980s as well. She's a freelancer, has a book on Duran Duran coming out soon, so nice 1980s plug there. But this week, week we wrap things up with the 1990s i'm going to be joined by eli ennis he is the editor from get alternative the alternative and we're going to talk 1990s talk about our favorite albums now 90s were crazy and that was the beginning of when hip-hop started to get big uh pop music kind of went the boy band route you got britney spears and backstreet boys and stuff oh it got disgusting at the end that's why Things come to an end here with the 90s. We won't go any further because music just got worse after that. We're traveling back to the 1990s and talking album of the decade. up our series album of the decade series here and we're ending it with the 90s and you're gonna understand why when you hear some of my rankings of the 90s i think you know in terms of the 90s that's when hip-hop started to get strong and obviously when you get to the 2000s it gets even stronger 2010s even stronger so this is where we got to end the journey and we got a fantastic guest joining us. We have Eli Ennis of Get Alternative. He is the editor and he also does some stuff. I think he does, does some stuff with Rolling Stone, Billboard, and Stereo Gum. So amongst all kinds of different platforms. Well, we have Eli joining us to help talk about the 1990s. What's going on, Eli? 
Hey, DC. Thanks so much for having me. Real stoked to be here. Absolutely, man. It's good to have you. First time guest. Um, definitely, yeah. definitely not the first time we've chatted because I know we've talked back and forth on social media before. But first time guest, man. Are you nervous? A little nervous. Yeah, you know, uh, very flattered you reached out. Um, but as sort of like a younger millennial, I know, um, you know, I was I was born in the mid '90s, so. Uh, Speaking from, I guess, maybe a little bit of a different place, but I'm really stoked to kind of see what our lists are like and get into some weird stuff, hopefully. That's why I, that's why I booked you, man. 1990s. So when I mentioned the 1990s, let's start with songs first, and they don't necessarily have to be on your albums list. They can or can't be. Obviously, I want you. I don't want you to give away any hints or anything, because we want to hear it. Okay. Um, but okay. 1990s. So what songs come to your mind right away when I say the 90s? I mean, obviously, it smells like Teen Spirit. kind of like I feel like epitomizes that era I mean growing up like obviously Nirvana were yeah I mean they were they were kind of associated with like the poster boys of 90s rock um, so before I even really like listen to music from the 90s I guess my vaguest idea of what that decade sounded like was, was certainly Nirvana their hits but primarily that song I would say but then also like I was in like middle school i got super into the offspring they were sort of one of the first like bigger punk bands i got into um so you know stuff from their album americana kids aren't all right and of course like self-esteem come out and play like some of those uh those hits from yeah when when pop punk kind of got really big with skate punk that was sort of like i guess the 90s music i was into in in middle school and, and early high school um it's also like ska, so like Real Big Fish's <laughs> Sellout uh, was a big one for me. So I guess those are sort of my touch points for, for how I first started exploring the decade and since then kind of expanded to different territories. But I guess those are what I always think of immediately, you know. Can't believe it's already time. We're ending the album of the decade series, ranking our top 10 personal favorite albums. Before we even get started to tell us what do you guys do, because I want to promote the website as much as possible, because I'm a big, big reader on the website. So at Get Alternative, what do, you, what do you guys do at Get Alternative? Yeah, so Get Alternative, uh, or The Alternative, we kind of <laughs> wobble between the two names, but GetAlternative.com is a music blog, a completely uh, reader-funded music blog. So... When I joined the site in 2016, I think, like, um, our founder, Henderson Cole, had been running it for years and sort of had, like, a revolving staff of volunteers who um, come and go over the years. But like, the past few years, we've had a really solid staff who, including myself, like, we've, we've stuck around and we have like, a handful of editors at this point and um, tons of contributors. And, yeah, our pretty much our mission is to cover music that wouldn't get covered elsewhere. So mostly underground rock music, emo, punk, uh, indie rock, power pop, um, but also expanding, always down to expand to hip hop and pop and um, just sort of comment music from with sort of the excitement and the enthusiasm towards completely small, unknown DIY bands that other websites maybe have for pop artists or artists who kind of are going to get coverage at the mainstream sites. Uh, we, we focus more on the underground stuff. So 
like I said, we're, we're just beginning, actually, as of like this past month, to be able to afford to pay our contributors, including editors. We've never been, none of us have ever made a cent from the site. Wow. But now our Patreon donations have, in, have increased, and um, we're able to finally start compensating our writers um, and our editors. Small sums right now in comparison to you know, more established mm-hmm. sites that have big funding. But, um, you know, obviously the more people donate, the more our staff gets paid, the more leeway that we have to, like, spend more time writing, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the quality of the content improves, and we can just keep, you know, covering great music. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's been an honor to be a part of it for, for many years, and there's so many hardworking uh, colleagues. And, uh, yeah, I really recommend anyone listening, if, if you like, if you want to see what's going on in underground music, today without any influence from outside uh, funding sources, like um, <laughs> unbiased. Yeah, give it a, give, give us a shot. I love it, I love it, I love it. And that's why I'm a big fan and big viewer, because I love listening and finding out new bands. That's part, I kind of take pride in that, in finding new bands as well. I know we talk a lot of classic music on here, but as listeners do know, I do take pride in finding new music, and Good Alternative is definitely one of those sources that helps me do so and allows me to do so. So let's get, in, let's get into it. Albums, man. Albums of the 90s. So we'll start with 10 and go all the way down to 1. So we're going to tease the listeners, make them listen to the whole thing. And so they are right, number cool. one. So let's start with number 10. What's your number 10? All right. My number 10, I put the album for those who were crucified by the band All Out War, who I don't know if you know how familiar you are with like heavy hardcore music, but All Out War, um, one, like an early band who kind of like really brought like metallic hardcore and metalcore, stepped up that sound. Mm-hmm you know, to what like Hatebreed and, and sort of bands like that would be doing in the 2000s, they were kind of doing it earlier. So this record came out in 98, and although there had been bands like Earth Crisis and like Vision Disorder and Marauder who were meant blending metal and hardcore throughout the rest of the, from, from the, you know, the early 90s onward, like all it were, this record, like the the production and the level of like anger and sort of like the grandness of the sound like actually still holds up today in 2020. Like it sounds like it could have come out last year Mm. and it came out over 20 years ago. So like I'm big into that sort of like really heavy hardcore stuff. And this record I've just come back to again and again over the years is sort of like I was told years ago, like, Hey, you got to check this out. It's influential. But whereas some, you know, influential albums might sound dated like this, it's incredibly influential, but it sounds incredibly fresh still. And just like, one of the heaviest, meanest, most awesome heavy records I've ever heard. <laughs> as far as we imagine, two different lists, two very different lists I'm that sure. we'll have. I, I am like, I didn't necessarily go the commercial route, but they're definitely, my albums are definitely ones that, you know, are probably higher like high on the charts and things like that but there are some that maybe a lot of people won't be familiar with i definitely took a couple um ones that people probably wouldn't expect like my number 10 people probably wouldn't expect this to be not my number 10 so you traveled back to 1998 for yours i i'm going all the way back to march 1st which we are approaching this anniversary of this album but march 1st of 1993 after four eps this irish alternative rock band release their album everybody else is doing it so why can't we and that is the one and only the cranberries it's tearing me apart it's really- 
Got the Cranberries at number 10. I mean, this this did end up doing big numbers. It reached uh, number 18 on the Billboard 200 charts um, and stayed on the chart for 130 weeks. So that's phenomenal. But yeah, the Cranberries, this was my introduction to them. Um, and I also wanted to pay some homage, obviously. We lost the lovely Dolores. Um, and I lo- this was my introduction to the Cranberries. and my personal favorite for that. And, you know, indie rock, uh, post-punk, folk rock. I feel like they fit all three of those genres. But has the big hit Linger, has Dreams, which was actually the first single released. But, you know, all the way front to back, some deep cuts on here. You got Sunday. Um, on the first side as well. So had to give the cranberries some love. This was my introduction to them and have the cranberries with everybody else is doing it. So why can't we at number 10? All right. My number nine, uh, pivoting from hardcore to Notre Milk hotel. Uh, I got to give love to in the airplane over the sea. Um, yeah, definitely like obviously a, an epic indie rock record, uh, a legendary album for that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard this one in college. I think maybe it, maybe I heard it in high school, but it really connected with me in college. And um, yeah, just I've, it's, it's it's still I've never really heard anything that sounds quite like "Can't Care of Flowers" Part One into Parts Two and Three. Um, just the melodies on here, and the instrumentation, and the personality, and all the creative stuff going on. Um, it's just, uh, it's a magnificent record and stuck with me over the years. And, uh, yeah, got it. Got to include it. I love it. I love it. I actually heard that one. So that is one that we both, <laughs> um, that's a fantastic cut right there. And then, so at my number nine, I went to 1999, an album that barely cracks the list, barely released <laughs> June, June 15th of 1999, 18th studio album by Latin rock band Santana. go back a little bit this was his album supernatural and a lot of people may remember this um this album was big for him in 99 it really was i mean he had smooth um the big hit with rob thomas you got maria maria another one of my personal favorites Put your lights on. This is going towards the 2000s, though. A lot of the singles he released, he really smooth in Maria in 1999, and then Put Your Lights On was starting to release in 2000. So, but this album was released in 99, so it, it, it hits the list. Um, it topped the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, the song Smooth did. I was Rob Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. If somebody didn't notice that, I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mention that before, but I guess Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20, lead singer. Uh, but that single by itself. Number one success worldwide and topped the Billboard Hot 100 chart for 12 weeks. And the next hit, Maria, 
also was number one in the U.S. for 10 weeks. And Supernatural went on to sell over 30 million copies worldwide. And the reason why this album is a personal favorite of mine is because this is a guy I knew was a legend. I knew him from the Woodstock days. I was growing up. I'm playing his records. And I didn't even know he was still doing music. I was nine nine years old. I'm like, and my, my dad comes home with this record, brand new Santana record. And he's like, Hey, this is brand new. I'm like, what? Santana's still making music? Which is funny because he just released another album last year. So it's like, I f- kind of wow. felt the same way. But in 99, I'm like, wow, he's releasing music still? And listen to this album, I'm like, man, this is incredible. So, and I think it was even Grammy nominated for Album of the Year, too, in 2000. So, absolutely crazy. But this was like a big return for Carlos Santana and Santana with this album. So, had to give it some love. I got Santana Supernatural at number nine. Hey, very nice. Um, all right, so number eight, go into Marilyn Manson with his mm-hmm. 1994 record debut, Portrait of an American Family. So I didn't want to spoil it earlier, but probably my favorite artist of the 90s, <laughs> or one of them is Marilyn Manson, um, who I got super into, super into at the end of middle school. And although I don't listen to him all the time, I, I go back to him a few times a year and always just appreciate his music and his image and what he stood for. Um, and this debut, like, was sort of, uh, I, I wouldn't say it broke him. I mean, it wasn't, his, the record that followed um, was maybe more impactful in the grand scheme of things. But this record, like, definitely established who he was. Uh, he started freaking out. You know, the MTV and the, the, the major mm-hmm. music pillars who were trying to channel him being like, get, you know, bringing his image to homes throughout the nation and scaring them. Um, but I just think it's a really great record because it's super dirty and kind of lo-fi and he was still kind of figuring out his sound and trying some like really weird stuff on it. And uh, it's got like probably the most like of a punk feel of all of his albums. Um, so that kind of really just... The way it doesn't really sound like anything else, any any of the similar bands that maybe he got compared to later on, like this this one kind of stands out as being extremely unique. So, you know, I've always really enjoyed it. So, yeah, Portrait of American Family, Marilyn Manson. I love it. So the one Marilyn Manson record that I have is also from the 90s. This isn't on my list, but just getting, I think it's called Antichrist Superstar. Um, yeah yeah that was i think that was a big one it had the big i'm a big wrestling fan and he had the beautiful people on it and that was like that was like an intro to one of their video games or something so like i i love that song uh, so I got the album for that song, and then that was my that was my introduction to Marilyn Manson. So um, I love Marilyn Manson. That's and he's your favorite of the '90s, huh? Yeah, yeah. We'll get yeah, <laughs> get into that a little bit later too. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. So, all right, at number eight, this is another band that. This was the hardest one to find a number, right? When I actually come up with the top 10 list, obviously there's there are albums that come to your mind right away. Like, all right, I got to find a number and find a way to get this album on there. Just don't know where's where I want to put it at. This was that album for me. Um, and this band has kind of grown on me as I've gotten older. I didn't really accept them too much at first. The Color and the Shape is the album, and it was the second studio album by American rock band Foo Fighters. And I 
1997 it was released and it just took me a while to you know get adjusted and obviously Dave leave, uh, didn't really leave Nirvana, but I, I guess, however you want to put it, um, is no longer with Nirvana. Now with the Foo Fighters, I kind of, you know, didn't take it very well at first. I'm like, no, he's always going to be Nirvana. And I, I couldn't take it. So, but when this album came out, I was like, okay, all right, all right, you got me, you got me. Uh, maybe I am a Foo Fighters fan. So, alternative rock, post-grunge. Um, obviously, color the color and the shape have Everlong, their big hit. I'm sure everyone has at least heard that at some point. Uh, My Hero is another under, underrated cut for me. Uh, Monkey Wrench was actually the first single released on this album, but this was what made me a fan of the Foo Fighters. And now today, I'm a huge fan of the Foo Fighters. That new album could come out any day now. I'm waiting. Yeah, Foo Fighters had to give them some love, but this album was so hard to find a number. But I think I did it justice by having it at number eight. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, number seven, I kind of hinted at this one earlier too, but I got to mention the, the offspring Americana. Mm. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people gravitated towards the offspring for 1994 smash. That was like their literal, their breakout. They had self-esteem, um, and, uh, come out and play on there. But I feel like by, by the time they got to Americana, they were really starting to kind of broaden their sound a little bit, which can sometimes work for punk bands and sometimes doesn't. But for them, I, at least when I was really enjoying this record, like I just think they had a lot of fun with it. And they were kind of like going towards maybe a little bit of a more serious direction with some of their older stuff. And then they kind of veered into sort of a, a more lighthearted approach with this album while also making some, you know, social commentary a little bit about America at the time. So, I mean, you got obviously like goofy cuts that are kind of ridiculous in hindsight, like pretty fly for a white guy, they're kind of insane. But and all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. There's some genuinely really great songs in here, like The Kids Aren't Alright, and, uh, you know, Why Don't You Get a Job is kind of funny. It's like, like Americana, the title track, and the song Pay the Man is sort of this, like, eight-minute, like, psych song at the end that has this really long, like, instrumental outro that they've never done anything like that since. So, at least, like, at the time, this record really connected with me in middle school and kind of, like, showed me, like... Wh- how far a pop punk band could go, which kind of, you know, I guess I always gravitate towards some of the stranger records and bands' catalogs. So, um, although I don't stand by all the lyrics of this record in 2020 for, by any means, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's a handful of really fun songs and very nostalgic for me to look back on. Absolutely. Yes. So this definitely summarizes the nineties. I grew up, I mean, when that, I remember watching that video, pretty fly for a white guy for the first time. (laughs) And I am like, I was like, well, how old was I at that point? I was like seven, eight, probably shouldn't have been watching MTV, but I was, um, (laughs) and I watched that video and I'm like, dude, this is hilarious. Like, this is awesome. Like I, and I had never really at that age, I haven't really seen anything like that. So it's kind of innovative in a, in a way. I like I really that's awesome that's awesome I forgot about that one that definitely summarizes in fact if you think 90s I'm sure anyone mentions either that song or video guarantee Mm. guarantee that definitely summarizes the 90s good good one right there Eli that was a great one 
So number seven. So this is where I'm going to start. I got a couple R&B hip hop, full disclosure. I got some R&B hip hop in there. Like I said, 90s, that's when it started getting strong. It started getting in there. Um, So I wanted to give some love. Rest in peace to this young lady. Um, Wanted to give some love because this was my introduction to her. And this is why it's a personal favorite of mine. So second studio album by American Singer in 1996. This also was a week after my birthday when I turned I turned six at this point. I was at this point, I was already buying my own stuff because I was getting allowance. So I was like, I'd go to the local record store and buy my own records or cheap CDs or something from the local wood, wood nickel. Shout out to sponsor. Um, one in a million by Aaliyah. First, first of all, first female album I ever bought. First ever. So number one. Um, and introduction to R&B. My first R&B album that I ever bought with my own money. Um, I was a big Aaliyah fan. I love R&B. You know, I grew up on that stuff. My dad, R&B soul, you know, Motown. I grew up listening to lead singers. So, um, But this album, obviously, with Timberland. Uh, famous producer behind the keys. You got Missy Elliott. You got Jermaine Dupree. Big hip hop moguls in here involved. Big right. hit, obviously one in a million. You got uh, girl only knew. Got to give up. Four page letter. Big hits. Cuts all the way through. And this was her big splash into the scene. I think this is what got her, you know, nationally known. Not just as an R and B artist, but as an artist in general. So big album for her and a big album for me personally as well. Aaliyah, one in a million at number seven. Great. I I forgot that Timbaland was behind that one. Like that's yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So number six for me, kind of moving a little more outside again, and got to go with Duster's 1998 record Stratosphere, mm. um, which was not really, as, from what I understand, not particularly revered at the time. Uh, Duster were kind of like a, just an underground indie band that put out this record. This very weird combination of sort of spacey like down-tempo, slow-core indie rock stuff and, like, very minimal psych um, and instrumental music. And over the years, the record gained, like, a sort of, like, a cult following throughout the 2000s and the 2010s, and they actually reunited a a couple years ago and just put out a new record last year that's really good. Um, But, yeah, this record kind of came to me a few years ago when people were my age and, like, in my kind of scene as as slow-core was kind of coming back in vogue um band started like tapping this as a big influence so i checked it out and it's immediately it's one of my favorite albums in the 90s for sure um just yeah another one that's kind of hard to define and sort of stands in its own uh you know lane in terms of it being an indie rock record but there's a lot of just sort of it'll just be there'll be three instrumental tracks in a row that are very slow and kind of almost monotonous on their own but if you listen to it all at once and sort of just let it flow and let yourself tune out it's got a really cool groove to it um it's kind of trippy in a way and i don't know it just hits a lot of different points for me um and what i like and sort of like a chill record uh it's because it's got a little bit of a spookiness to it as well so duster stratosphere um spectacular record 
Absolutely. That's one you just got to take in. It's, I agree, kind of hard to explain. I think that's just one, you know what, just kick back and listen to it. All right. And uh-huh. make, make your own, come up with your own opinion on, you know, how you can explain it. Another fantastic one, man. I, I know you, you told me that you were going to be like way in left field with these, but you're not really so far. Um, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty on par with you. I'm pretty on par with you, so nothing too crazy yet. Maybe you're saving the best for last or something. But um so two of my three R and B hip hop albums that I have going to number six here. I had to, I went another R and B route. So this is my this was my introduction to who would become my favorite R and B singer ever. Ever. Um I know there's obviously been people better, but this is my personal favorite, right? Nineteen ninety seven, September sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Second studio album by American singer Usher. Now, this is, yeah, he he ended up, you know, as time progressed, ended up becoming my favorite R&B singer ever. This also includes some guest appearances, R&B singer Monica. You got Jermaine Dupri, uh, Lil' Kim, uh, rapper. Um, But, yeah, Usher My Way. I got that at number six. How you make me want to That's a ninety. That's nineties theme right there. You make me wanna is like the R and B song of the. Like I would argue that was like one of the top songs in terms of R and B for the entire nineties. You got nice and slow too. I mean, come on. These are this is straight 90s. I mean, my way, the self-titled song. And there's some underrated cuts on there, too, that you just you got to listen to it. You know, I can't I can't tell you which one. I mean, Slow Jam with Monica is a big one. Um, I will is a nice, you know, laid back song. Babyface makes uh, he's on bedtime, the eighth track on here. So uh, Ronald Isley from the Isley Brothers, the Isley Brothers join him on a song. There's a lot of cameos on here. Fantastic record. Gotta love it. I got Usher with My Way at number six. That's funny you say that, you know, those songs yeah, definitely define the 90s. Um, and then you got, <laughs> for me, like Usher's Yeah, there isn't possibly a more 2000s song than <laughs> <Exactly>. that. <laughs> exactly. So, really dominated two decades. Um, but all right, coming into number five, I guess I guess you were saying, I said before, like my list was maybe a little weird. I guess I meant weird just more so in the sense that there's it's kind of all over the place, but yours <laughs> definitely is too, so I'm glad we're both thinking the same way. But um, number five, yeah, I got, got to come in with my Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Yes. Um, definitely, personally, I'm a huge Shoegaze fan, uh, and obviously this is like, you know, they're, they're the Shoegaze band for a lot of people. Um, their 1991 record just completely sounded alien at the time uh just the way they were manipulating guitar tones and the guitar in general um i yeah still to this day i I haven't heard anything that sounds quite like this um and i I was listening to it last night and i was i mean once again i just every time i hear it i'm like how how are you doing this uh kevin shields (laughs) just using the reverb and sort of bending and just the grooves and the rhythms and the way they lock into like this fairly wavy guitar tone there's a lot of shoegaze, like shoegaze as a genre has kind of gone in a lot of different directions and, you know, contemporaries of the era like Slow Dive or Chapter House may have put it in a more 
you know, straightforward melodic fashion, but just like how experimental and sort of like, uh, I guess psychedelic for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. Loveless is just astounds me to this day. And um, yeah, there's, there's very few guitar records I've heard compete with it. Yeah. Only shallow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. When you Insane. sleep, when you sleep, I mean, that, that's a fantastic pick, man. Honestly, I can't remember. I can't, Stan, that I forgot that one. Actually, I'm a little upset that I forgot that one. You went. <laughs> I'm glad I gotta cover them. You went. You went. Yeah, that's why I got you on. 1991. You went back on that one. I love it. Yeah, my bloody Valentine. Really innovative with this album. I love, like I said, when you sleep, only shallow, and only shallow starts the album, which is absolutely oh, yeah. great. So I don't think you could have started any better. It's sequenced correctly. I th- sometimes on there too. Like we almost forgot that one. Sometimes mm-hmm. love that one too. So absolutely, man. My bloody Valentine, nineteen ninety one. You got that one, number five. I love it. So all right, I'm gonna do my last hip hop R and B one, and then we're gonna have some fun here. All right, number five. <laughs> number five. I got the debut, debut first album ever that this rapper released. Released November 23rd, 1993. Now, when I say the record, that's going to give it away. Maybe. Could be someone else. But when I say the record, the record company, it's going to narrow it down. Death Row Records and Interscope Records. Debut album by Snoop Dogg. Doggy Mm. Style. Laid back. Had to have Doggy Style, so it was either between Doggy Style or The Chronic for me, and that was uh-huh. the, that was one of the hardest processes of coming up with this. But Doggy Style, first hip hop album ever had, ever bought, ever heard, loved it, made me a fan because I crossed over from George Clinton. George Clinton was where I crossed uh-huh. over with hip hop, and this album is exactly why George Clinton influences. You got Dr. Dre producing on this, uh, just oh my goodness, fantastic cut, Snoop Dogg. Would not be Snoop Dogg without this album. That's for sure. Debut number one on the Billboard 200, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, of course, the source, the source Magazine's list of 100 Best Rap Albums. Uh, it's on there. It's on Rolling Stone's list of um, essential recordings of the 90s. So, definitely nationally. The national conception of this record, absolutely great. Critical reception, great. And great great cuts on it as well. The G-Funk intro, George Clinton. Uh, you got Gin and Juice, the big hit, obviously. I think oh, that yeah. was that was probably the biggest hit that he had. And that's that's my anthem, man. That's all I drink, Gin and Juice. <laughs> and this, this, that song is probably why. It start, got it started early. Uh, you got Murder Was the Case. Uh, I know you got some, do- I think this is the introduction to the Dog Pound, as he called him. Um, and rest, uh, Nate Dog as well uh, appears on this album. Rest in peace, Nate Dog. So, Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. Crack my top five at number five, man. Hey, that's a great, great pick. Uh, definitely definitive uh, of that era. Um, all right, so number four, I got a. I got to shout out Weezer's Pinkerton. Yeah. Um, the second Weezer record, which was at the time, this, I mean, I think this was 96, mm-hmm. uh, just seen as sort of a, it was a, it was a flop in after coming after the Blue Album, uh, which had like numerous big radio hits. Uh, <laughs> this record didn't produce any of those from my understanding. Maybe Oscarcho was. I should have researched that better. But anyways, it was overall seen by critics as like a, a disaster 
Um, a lot of fans didn't appreciate it either. But then over the years, it's kind of grown to be like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, a lot of people think this is better than the Blue Album. A lot of people stopped listening to Weezer after those first two records, um, and they consider Pinkerton to be, yeah, their, their masterwork. Um, I'll get into another one of their albums a little later on, just to hit that it a little bit. But um, I think this is, yeah, I mean, this, this Weezer album sounds, sounds awesome. I mean, it's, it's super blown out, lo-fi, guitars sound um, like massive, absolutely huge riffs. Uh, it's pretty much, if you want to hear what, my, like, my favorite guitar tone is the Weezer Pinkerton guitar tone, um, mm-hmm. and just sort of what Rivers, Cuomo, and his gang were doing at this time. Just like super, super poppy songs with massive riffs and solos. Uh, pretty emotional uh, lyrics that can be a little silly looking back, but overall, just a great time. Um, and just, yeah, a, just a fantastic sound and aesthetic that I can't get enough of. Man, man, man. I'm so glad I got you because you got you basically have the ones that I don't that definitely cover the 90s. So I feel like I feel like this is mixing perfect, man. And we did not we did not rehearse this. So like, no, not at all. This is perfect. (laughs) This is perfect. So. All right. we're, We're already at number four. That's crazy. So. All right. At number four. There's there's so many different reasons why I chose this one. Um, I probably could have had it higher, honestly, because I play this one so much even to this day. I mean, the seventh studio album, American Rock Band, June 8th, 1999. Barely cracks a decade, but technically it does. So I'm adding it. Um, so <laughs> this marked also the return of John Fruciani. And you ended up replacing the band's guitarist, Dave Navarro. He returns on this album right here in 99. Produced by Rick Rubin, the album Californication. research and look up when it came out because i thought it was 2000s but it wasn't 99 so had to be on my list number four favorite chili peppers album ever i mean take your pick there's just so many hits front and back scar tissue around the world other side californication road tripping i have a playlist literally named road tripping and it's named after this out the song obviously you got even parallel universe i mean this album is why i am as big of a Chili Peppers fan as I am today. And this album also was the mark of their change of direction. They were changing their sound, wanted to change some things up. I know they talked a lot about, uh, you know, comp, you know, uh, suicide, drugs, global, global, I mean, globalization and travel, things like that. They covered so many different things on this album and I loved it. I love their change of sound and the big reason why I love the Chili Peppers. So Chili Peppers, Californication is my number four. Hey man, that's a, that's a great pick. Um, yeah, Californication, just hearing that on the radio, huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely great that you, you got that one in there. Um, so, yeah, number three for me, I guess I had to go with, uh, it was hard for me to pick one one album by this band, but I narrowed it down to Built to Spill's fourth record, uh, Keep It Like a Secret, 1999. 
Um, so yeah, another one that's just kind of right at the end of the decade, but you know, it speaks to sort of where indie rock was going. I mean, it's, they had—I believe this came out on Warner Brothers. I mean, they had a—they had a big budget. It was kind of their big budget. Um, yeah, Warner Records. Uh, so Bill Spill, yeah, started off in the early '90s as sort of like a lo-fi indie pop band, and then had. In 97, they, they put out a record that was like these super, full of super long, winding, uh, sort of like psych rock songs. And then they conjoin those two styles and keep it like a secret. So it's the best of both worlds. It's got just like massive sounding songs like Broken Chairs mm-hmm. and The Plan um, and Bad Life. But it's also got really great pop hits, uh, like, you know, like Center of the Universe and... Uh, you know, you were right, and sort of like bringing carry, melody and carry guitar the zero. theatrics onto one record. Uh, yeah, carry the zero. Carry the zero, of course, of course, the, the, the big one. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I love this band, and um, this is definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. Let alone one of my favorites of the '90s. So, had to uh, had to show some love. I love your list. I love your list. That's a good one Thanks, too, man. man. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, man, number three. Whew. It's getting harder. Um, my number three, I, I'm going with the second studio album. This was hard, and I'm probably going to get a lot of feedback and probably negative feedback for having this. Some people are going to be like, oh, it's too low or too high. <laughs> it's like it's never in between with this band. It's never in between. You either love this band or you absolutely hate them. And this was their second studio album traveling all the way back to 1991, September 24th of 1991 to be exact. Nirvana, never mind. My introduction to Nirvana, my introduction to grunge that I absolutely began to love. I love this album, man. I love this album. Everything about it, front to back. I love the cover. Very innovative, uh, different. Um, obviously having the baby naked swimming, trying to trace the dollar bill that you know, like a fish, basically, on the Nirvana Nevermind cover, but <laughs> Yeah, man, I love this sound. Obviously, Dave, Dave again on my list. Dave cracks it again. Um, I guess Dave is the artist of the 90s. Maybe that's what we need to say. Um, but <laughs> yeah, Smells Like a Teen Spirit, you mentioned earlier, as a song that comes to your mind. Lithium, Come As You Are, In Bloom, front to back. This, this, this record is just fantastic. And I don't think Nirvana is who they are without this album and the songs that are on it. So Nirvana, never mind. I'm sure there's not as I can't. There's nothing else left to say. It's Kurt Cobain. It's Nirvana. Never mind. One of the most innovative albums. Probably summarizes the whole decade, to be honest. But it only cracks number three on my list. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just a fantastic record. Crazy how it defines the decade and it came out in 91. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it stayed throughout the whole 10 years. Um, all right. So number two, got to got civil back to a band I mentioned earlier, an artist I mentioned earlier. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Antichrist Superstar. Yeah, his 1996 record um, <laughs> over the years has, yeah, I mean, this is this is one, I, I think I liked the, the one I mentioned earlier, Portrait of American Family, better when I was younger, but over the years I've come to appreciate this was his blowout. Um, the tours surrounding this record were insane. He was ripping up Bibles on stage. He was getting picketed, boycotted at every single show. Mm-hmm. Um, the songs were extremely aggressive. He had Trent Reznor producing with him. Um, his band. I mean, at the time, he just had so much anger and ambition, and uh, he and he had the spotlight on him to sort of deliver and expound upon, and really speak to what he was he was yelling. I was talking about, you know, the, you know, the 
religious oppression in this country and sort of like how, they, how you know, his, his fight against Christianity and whatnot and, and the media, and they, they've really baited into it. And uh, so that this album represents is really important, but it also just sounds amazing. It just sounds, uh, you know, super huge and uh, loud and just crazy. Um, definitely one of my favorite metal albums of all time. And, uh, yeah, a monument of the 90s. I would say definitely in terms of artists that you think of of the 90s, Marilyn Manson in terms of metal, I mean, he cracks the top, doesn't he? I mean, number one, right? I mean, you could, I guess you could say Pantera. Um, I was, yeah. It was hard for me not to include any of them on a list or like Slipknot later on in the decade, but they were kind of more like, they really came up in the 2000s, Corn, yeah. and Biscuit, like some of that stuff. Yeah, I guess the 90s, but they really, late 90s is when they started. Like Manson was, yeah, mid-90s. And earlier on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely not. So we're at number two already. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, all right. My number two, I finally got to see this band last year for my birthday. It was great. Fantastic show. Um, still, still put on a great show. 1995. Whew. This, I wanted to have it number one. I really did. But unfortunately, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> and, you know, it's to this day. I mean, the lead singer, he's just so weird. You know, he's he's you want to not like him because he seems cocky, but you like him because he's so good. And, you know, um, this album released October 24th, 1995. Um, the third studio album, American Alternative Rock Band, The Smashing Pumpkins with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. The world is a vampire. I want to have a number one. I really did. I mean, there's just so many songs on it. Bullet, uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings. You got 1979. Their big hit. Uh, Tonight, Tonight is actually my personal favorite song from the album. You also have Zero, um, 33. I mean, just both sides. The cover is fantastic as well. I know there's an alternate cover. I do not have this record yet, by the way. I need to get my hands on it. Got to get my hands on it. It's a little bit pricey, but I need to get my hands on it. Got to. Um, And I know know the songs ended up doing big numbers. I know the lead singles on it, 79, Bullet Butterfly Wings. I know they did crazy numbers, Zero, Tonight, Tonight. But... These were the first songs I heard from Smashing Pumpkins. I had not, I did not hear Siamese Dream yet. This was the first one I heard. And this is what made me a fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. So I wanted to have it number one. One of my favorite albums ever. I couldn't do it. But I have the Smashing Pumpkins with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness at number two. Oh, that's, yeah, fantastic. Um, it's a classic record. So, 
Yeah, I'm realizing now there's one band that I left off this list. Maybe I'll mention it afterwards. Is like, oh wow, how did I not mention this? But <laughs> going to my number one, this was the first one I thought of. Here it is. Um, th- th- pretty much the only record I can think of that I would say is a perfect ten. Uh, I guess I'm very selective with what I consider a, a, a genuinely perfect album. But I think that this record is front to back the best rock album, let alone probably the best album I've ever heard, which is Weezer's Blue album. <laughs> which I, I think just the, just the perfect pop rock album in every sense of the word. I mean, obviously there was the huge hits off this, um, I'm done the sweater song and say it ain't so. And my name is Jonas. Just, I mean, every every single track is somehow catchier than the last. The, the guitar solos are super tasteful. The, the, the tones and everything sort of men- melding the, the rock tones, the, the guitar tones of grunge with the melodies of, you know, Beach Boys or whoever, um, and just sort of finding this perfect balance of pop and grit. And, um, yeah, I, I, they just anthems, like Sweater Song and Saint and So, I never get tired of them, but also you got really like, awesome slow burners, like The World Is Turning Left Me Here, Only in Dreams, mm-hmm. um, really kind of fun and clever songs, like In the Garage and Surflex America, um, and just, like hooks like the Buddy Holly hook and a solo in Buddy Holly. I mean, I, I'm a guitar guy. I love, I love guitar solos. I'm a sucker for guitar solos. I'm mm-hmm. also a huge sucker for melodies and, and sweet hooks, and yeah, it's just, it's just the the perfect note of that <laughs> it really hits it for me man you nailed it you nailed it i'm glad you had weezer i you know growing up um i always heard weezer but i never really like and this doesn't mean i don't like them it's just none of their songs really sat the only ones that really sat with me say it ain't so definitely sat with me and the definitely definitely remember that and but i do remember buddy holly i do remember that one but yeah i think i think uh island in the sun was the first song I heard. So I was late. I was late to the train. So maybe that was the problem as I heard from the green album. I heard, uh, Mm -hmm. Island in the sun first. And that was my introduction and I was a little bit behind. So maybe I just didn't, uh, maybe I was just a little too late, but Weezer, you got that at number one, the blue album. I like it. 1994 too. So my number one, I chose it for so many different reasons. Uh, number one, I feel like this album and a song from this album, is the number one song from the nineties. There is at least for me, at least for me, when I think nineties, the song from this album defines it. I mean, it really does for me anyway, but debut studio album, March 26th, 1997, this band that I ended up and it has nothing to do with us being friends at now, but uh, I did end up, you've heard, I've interviewed the band several times on this podcast and attended shows and everything like that. Really cool guys, really cool guys. But this, I feel like they were very innovative when they released their debut studio album and self-titled Third Eye Blind. I got mm-hmm. them number one. I feel like they they changed the game with this album. 97. Obviously, you got Semi-Charmed Life on this album that probably the most upbeat, negative, I mean, depressing song I've ever heard. Um, (laughs) It sounds, it makes you, you know, it puts you in a good mood when you hear it. But if you actually listen to what he's talking about, 
not very not very happy not very exciting yeah. but it's a good cut i mean you got graduate how's it gonna be losing a whole year you got jumper I wish you would step back from that ledge my friend you could cut ties with all the life that you've been living in and if you do not want to see me again i would under- both sides of this album in my opinion are just absolutely fantastic this was my introduction to Third Eye Blind, who I ended up loving. Uh, and a lot of people still feel like they're a 90s band only. I don't think so, because the, a lot of their albums they've been releasing lately is still good. So, had to give it some love. I don't think Semi-Charmed Life, I don't think anything other than Semi-Charmed Life defines the 90s for me. Um, and this album for me as well, summarizes the 90s for myself and my childhood and upbringing. I got Third Eye Blind, self-titled, number one. That's great, yeah. I guess for... Like this band is to me what Weezer is to you, and that I, I love the, the the big hits I've heard. But I guess I've never taken a proper delve into their discography. Um, but semi charm life, I remember having like a camp counselor when I was a little kid had that as his as his ringtone, and he was getting in trouble for having it play during like the day or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like that <laughs> that song was so big. Like everyone wanted that on their phone or um, in their CD player back in the day. So great pick. Thanks, man. Full disclosure, the first time I heard that song was in American Pie. That's a perfect time to hear it. <laughs> that, is, that is right. America, I was watching... like, wow, that defines the, that era, too. It does. It does. Maybe maybe another time we could do movies of the 90s and have, have fun with that. American Pie had this song in it, and that was... I was like, man, I really like that song. So that was... That's how I found it, and I had that at number one, and I, I, I think you would like Third Eye Blind, man. Check out um, Blue which is also from the 90s. I was 99. Check that one out, and then check out Out of out of the Vein. Check those two out when you can, and then let me know what you think. I think you would like those, um, and then if you like those, check out their new stuff. I, I think they're still fantastic. But, yeah, Third Eye Blind, number one. You have Weezer Blue album, number one. I think both our lists were fantastic, and, again, feel like played off each other. I feel like we covered a lot and covered – Pretty much, I mean, obviously, there's so much more to dig into, there's so much music in any decade, but I feel like we covered all the bases and all the different genres and the areas of the 90s. So, great stuff, Eli. Before I let you go, though, got to let you plug what's coming up. I want to know a sneak peek of what's coming up, not only for you personally, but for the website, The Alternative. Uh, shoot. All right. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, personally, yeah, I mean, I'm a freelance music journalist, so... Always got new pieces in the works. Um, follow me on Twitter, Eli underscore Ennis. You'll see what, I, what I've got going. Just I interview a lot of bands, uh, write a lot of profiles. So that's sort of what you can see from me there. But for the site, um, we're going to have a South by Southwest showcase uh, coming up this year that I'm going to be attending. Mm-hmm. You're going to be at South by. Come say what's up. It's not going to be announced yet. I think we're going to be announcing very soon, maybe by the time this goes live. Um, but I can't say anything yet except for that the lineup is fantastic last year our showcase down there was yeah one of the one of the best days um of my uh, adult life i guess i could say and uh i'm really excited to to have that happen again this year because the lineup is going to be great um but yeah this year we, we got something coming up like super late uh i guess i can't give you too many spoilers but you know right now we're doing a decade wrap up of the 90s um, I'll just say that maybe it's something in the theme of that, but we're going to take it to a place that I don't think a lot of people are expecting um, for the 2010s, uh, sort of our own decade, um, you know, 
special. So that's all I'm going to say for now, but keep an eye on our, on our socials and on, on the website. You'll, you'll learn more in due time. Um, and like I said, we're, we're paying our contributors now. Um, we're paying our editors. And the more you can, you know, readers and, and lovely supporters donate to us, the more that our contributors and everyone gets paid for their work and their two for the content uh, improves in quality because we have more resources. So if you want to support us, we have a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash getalternative. We really, really appreciate anything. Uh, we also just really appreciate anyone reading our site at all and um, you know, showing us some love on social media or whatever, uh, just sort of recommending uh, all that great new music that you know, we see coming we gotta, we got to show some love for. So, yeah, that's I guess that's what I give. I hope that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Great stuff. Great stuff. And I, I left, I'll leave in the description a link for people to donate. Absolutely love, first of all, up and coming websites. And the fact that you're now at the point able to pay some of your contributors and editors and things like that. That's fantastic, man. I've owned websites and started websites before. Unfortunately, never really worked out to where I was able to do that. And, you know, and to this day, I understand how tough it is. You know, it's it's really tough to be in that position. And the fact that you guys are there, absolutely fantastic. And also is a big testament to your, uh, I know, the, is it Henderson Cole? Is that his name? Is that the, uh, yeah, yeah it's a big shout out to him and you for doing great work. And it's a big testament to who you guys are as people to be able to, you know, give back. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to continue. So I left a link for people to donate right in the description to scroll on down and donate to this fantastic website. Eli, thanks for joining me today, man. 90s. I think we killed it. I think we did. You see, thank you so much for having me. It was really, really a true pleasure. Very flattered. Thanks so much to Eli for joining us here on the Music Vibes podcast, traveling back to the 1990s, year I was born, talking about our favorite albums from the decade. Wrapping up our Album of the Decade series here. It's been a blast, by the way. I love traveling back in the time and any excuse I can do to do it, any excuse to do it, I will do it. So, Great stuff. Great stuff. It's been a long journey doing 60s, 70s, 80s and now 90s. And we wrap things up playing a brand new song. And we've been talking about the 90s today, a a band that I had in my rankings that probably could have had higher. I wanted to have number one, but I didn't. And I couldn't do it. But I had a great album and had a great album they released in 2018, not 2019, but really late 2018. I thought this album just released last year, but November 16, 2018, the Smashing Pumpkins returned and they released the album Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1. And it's great. It really is. So I decided to do our Drop the Needle segment. I chose the Smashing Pumpkins, all right? I wanted to give you guys a good idea. They still sound good. Still got the same sound for the most part. So we're going to do Smashing Pumpkins. So let's go ahead and do it. This is our Drop the Needle segment, sponsored by 20 Past 4 and More, located at 2014 Broadway Street here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Get all your fantastic needs. Also got a tease coming up. I might be doing a giveaway soon, so you want to stay tuned. Go see my guy Kevin. He'll hook you up for your tobacco needs and more. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's drop the needle. This is the Smashing Pumpkins. This is again from their album Shiny and also Bright Volume 1, released 2018. This is Silvery Sometimes Ghosts by the Smashing Pumpkins. Let's drop the needle. Yeah. 
DC Hendricks on the Music Vibes Podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.